Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt and Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. Good evening, everyone. I'm Timothy Harvey. And the world is coming to an end. Although uh, we are we are getting word that a number of uh, states are getting ready to start reopening. I saw today headlines: uh, South Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee. Trying to get back to normal, and I think it's a little early myself, but we'll see how it plays out. I certainly hope that it does not mean lead to another wave of people getting sick, because that is not what I think anybody wants. Obviously, no. Um, but I'm I personally am. We'll just have to see. Just have to see. Yeah. Well, and and to answer uh, sci-fi snobs in the chat, um, what what I uh, have to deal with here is uh, Tim comes in through a video a video conferencing tool. You know, he we're using Zoom, and the audio from Zoom is coming into my headphones, and it's also going into the broadcast software. So it's in two different places, so I can hear it here. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the software is hearing it, so I have to, I have to, I have to pay attention a little bit better. So, and that's and why all of you are helping us keep track of exactly. this kind of stuff. And um, it would be nice if I'd been sunbathing, but no, I've been indoors all day. I actually have a uh, a fair amount of uh, red in my skin as it is. It just happens to be something that's there, uh, and in the lighting I have currently in this. <laughs> apartment uh which is not ideal lighting for mm. doing this sort of thing anyway um and i'm working on that um it really makes it you know i really look very very red so no unfortunately you know i have a, i have a nice little porch i could be um but no i've, I've been indoors all day uh, so you know maybe maybe when it gets warmer warmer no <laughs> but unlikely i'm not much of a sunbather <laughs> it's a giant it's a giant ball of fire in the sky it's going to kill us all one of these days, yeah. In in you know in theme of tonight's episode, um, yeah, because we've been talking we've been talking about the stuff that you you know our recommendations for stuff you can listen to and watch, or or read, because it is um, well, thank you, um, the uh, the stuff that we really think is good. But there's uh, for all the fact that we are all going to get through this uh, overall, you know, and we're then for all the you know condolences, of course, to everyone who's lost friends and family, but. Uh, overall, this is this is a thing that we go through as as, as it happens. I mean, mm. there have been there have been pandemics before, and, and there are, there will be pandemics again. I'm sad to say, yeah. um, it's not the end of the world. Uh, and there are there, are, but again, if you're at home and you got something, something to do, you know, you know, Netflix or Amazon Prime or, or book or whatever. These there's some great end of the world stories out there. Uh, there's a lot of terrible end of the world stories out there too. Oh sure. There's there's a tendency, and Jason, you and I have talked about this on the show before, for the post-apocalyptic, grimdark, you know, and you can see it a lot yeah. in zombie pictures. I mean, there's the, uh, some of the arguments against shows like The Walking Dead and Fear of the Walking Dead and that ilk is that, you know, 
it's the same kind of thing. <laughs> um, and and you, and you can run into to you know like a movie like World War Z, which is a I'm going to say a perfectly adequate zombie movie based on a really really original zombie book, which did not fall into the usual traps of you know uh, the this the tropes of the zombie post apocalyptic story. So um, you know Max Brooks's World War Z is a book you should pick up if you haven't read it. Uh, if you thought the movie is a reason to stay away from the book, it's the exact opposite. <laughs> uh, it's very much a book to pick up. Um, and, you know, I, there's there's a few. I, I've got a couple couple here that uh, I'm going to talk about tonight that, honestly, you should watch the film and not read the book uh, because the film's actually an improvement over the novel, which is a rarity. Uh, there's You will very rarely hear me say, you know, sure, if you want to be a completist, read the book, but don't expect it to be better than the film. Mm. I think uh, one of the things for me is the, I guess I guess we should define what we're considering the end of the world because the post-apocalyptic stuff doesn't necessarily mean the end of the world. I mean, it could be the end of civilization. Mm-hmm. Um, we have uh, a breakdown in governments and society and, you know, the the vegetation over overtakes the the skyscrapers, that sort of thing. Um, and then you have the actual end of the world. So you have um, uh, the, the first one that comes to my mind is is when worlds collide, where you actually have the destruction of the planet as opposed to just the breakdown of society as as we get in a lot of those post-apocalyptic things like the Hunger Games or Divergent or uh, any of those. And sure. for us growing up in the eighties, you know, we were, we were right there. You know, it was, it was the height of the cold war. Mm-hmm. And so there were a lot of stories that were coming out at, around that time dealing with the Russians and the, the nuclear war that was just sure. around the corner and that sort of thing. And, um, one of the books that we read in school was Alas Babylon by mm-hmm. Pat Frank, which is a very good a very good book about people dealing with what happens after nuclear holocaust. And right. even though the fears turned out to be unwarranted to a certain extent. Um, well, I don't know if they were unwarranted. It just didn't happen. There's a difference. It, well, it didn't. I mean, the fear, the fears, the fears were very genuine, and I think fully justified. When you had people, there was so much posturing, yeah. and there was so much fear that 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 a third, you know, a, a rogue party would get their hands on one of these weapons. And you know, the you look at you and and we were seeing it in the '80s, but the UK. And parts of Europe, they were putting out fiction in the in the '60s and '70s that was much more. And we were doing it here too. I mean, mm-hmm. there was, it wasn't just the '80s, but the you know you look at the 1970s, the fiction and the TV shows are being produced over in the UK um, with things like Day of the Triffids or or some of these other things that were very much you know um, in a lot of ways they were the dangers of radiation uh, stories too. And and you saw this sort of you know this fear. And of course, if you're a smaller country like England, 
um, yeah, you're getting snuffed out is, is a much, you know, you're like, we're, we're gone. Yeah. Um, and yet, and then again, you'd see the flip side of that in the eighties when, um, V for Vendetta, the comic book, um, you know, by Alan Moore came out and this, the, the premise of the so- story is that there was a nuclear exchange and the UK survived the U S and Russia wiped each other out, but somehow the UK survived and it's, and Years later, Moore would sit there and go, yeah, I did not understand anything about Fallout. <laughs> I just, yeah, I just didn't know. It's wow. completely, it's completely, it doesn't make, it doesn't make a lick of sense, but. Well, and I guess maybe, maybe when I say the fears turned out to be unwarranted, as we look back, you know, with hindsight and see that economically it's likely that the Soviet Union probably could not have sustained a nuclear war. Uh, like we thought, you know, oh, I well, mean, yeah. there was, there is that, I mean, his history is always uh, a teacher to, you know, those who will listen, but, you know, looking back on all of that, sure. They, you know, we were certainly justified in our fear at the time because everybody's going to, you know, the Russians have the bomb. Um, but uh, I, I, I would say that the fear of a rogue nation getting one of those is just as, as, real now probably more so uh given that some of the some of the groups that are trying to get their hands on it are religious fanatics religious fundamentalists who are who have not just the economic side of things you are my enemy but also the whole holy war type of mentality sure. that i think makes well, them even and- more dangerous well, I think that's that's always been a, a a certain amount of fear there. You look in, and it's popped up in fiction before. You look at uh, some of Robert McCameron's uh, fiction, and um, uh, his um, oh, I did not. I just drew a blank of it. Uh, Swan Song, mm-hmm. um, which was sort of his. It's not. It's not him writing the stand, but it is in the same kind of the world has ended. How do we pick up the pieces? And there's a supernatural angle, but his is much more a, um, uh, less, less the bioterrorism and more the, um, you know, the bomb is, is the instrument there. So, um, and it ends up being a certain amount of, of the, you know, there's a, there's the religious fanaticism. Um, and it's not just limited to one religion. It's a certain, you know, it's a certain amount of, the crazies, the crazies that lurk among um, all of us, um, wherever we stand, um, and it makes it for a very disturbing novel. It's it's interesting. I have it. I got the audiobook for it. So I'm like, I read this book when I was in when I was in my twenties, and I'm it's really dark and grim, but it's a very well done novel. And the problem is, is that it is a very dark and grim audiobook, and I just I can listen to about an hour about it of it at a time, and then I have to stop because it's yeah. just so i mean it's it, it it drags you down i mean it's it's very very good but yeah. it's also a oh <laughs> i'm starting <laughs> to feel bad <laughs> and it's not it's it's even set in a world that doesn't exist anymore really because it was set really set in the 80s mm-hmm. and so i mean we're, we're past that point but again it's it, it captures a mood extremely well so yeah. Um, and that, and you know, that's a mark of an effective, effective storyteller, but it's also a little much, uh, in, in, in having it right there being piped into your head, uh, directly, you know, through 
you know, great voice performances. So there was, uh, there was a nuclear war movie. I got I got, I'll have to look this up. Let me, let me see if I can find it here because Brian Dennehy was in it and he just, with him just passing away, I, I was thinking about this one the other day where it was done in black and white. And uh, there were all sorts of people that were in it. And it was basically done the way the old style, like Firestone Theater, sure. know, back, in the, uh-huh. back in the 50s, back the, right. the live theater, the, the live TV stuff. And it was... Um, it was a it was a nuclear war thing, and mm-hmm. I need to see if I can find fail safe. Oh, oh yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it was it was you know Cold War tensions climbed to a fever pitch when a U.S. bomber is accidentally ordered to drop a nuclear warhead on Moscow, and everybody was in this. And I remember watching it and thinking it's it was it was very effective in the whole the cold war is a bad thing and this could turn into a very 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 terrible thing and i mean noel wiley's in it richard dreyfus brian dennehy sam elliott james cromwell hank azaria norman lord uh norman lloyd don Cheadle, george clooney harvey got me everybody was in this thing um and there was another one and i can't remember what it what it was every now every now and again i look it up and i find it and then i can't remember what it was called there was a movie there was a movie that ran it was on a sunday night it ran on nbc and it was presented in the same style that uh orson wells did for the war of the worlds with the radio theater the mercury theater on the air mm-hmm. right yeah and at the very beginning it was this is fake. You know, we had the disclaimer at the very beginning of the story. But, of course, right. anybody that gets home and turns on their TV, there's news coverage of terrorists who have a nuclear bomb in New York Harbor. And the whole the whole two hours is this thing. And it took me a little bit to figure out that this was this was a staged thing because you know i was familiar with what orson wells had done i thought okay well, I, I get what they're doing sure but my mother gets into it late mm. and sure. you know i <clears throat> no wait mom it's fake what it's fake don't it's okay uh, but there were a lot of people, you know, it, it was that same kind of thing where, you know, back in 1938, when people turned into to, you know, War of the Worlds late, they hear all of these broadcasts about, you know, I mean, it is the end of the world. You've got aliens invading the planet and and people are panicking. And and it's that same kind of thing where, you know, even today. As we can see, people are so susceptible to their fears fueled by whatever it is that we see on the TV and radio, you know, whether intentional or not. Even more so then, though, because back in the, especially in the days of radio, uh, where that was your primary form of communication from, you know, that that was the news source. That Mm -hmm. was 
you know, and, and if the president spoke, it was through radio. And if you heard other world leaders, it was through radio. Yeah. So it was it was where, you know, you there was a reliability that we had, even with as much as the, the golden age of, uh, you know, uh, fiction that was going on with that. Um, you know, certainly you would not expect to have somebody sit there and, you know, give you something that, that was so clearly not brought to you by, you know, powerful yeast or, or, you know, manly cigarettes or whatever it was the sponsor was for that particular show. Camel. You know, you, you weren't getting that sort of thing. Um, and, and then, of course, when you get where things like, you know, I think really up until the 90s, uh, and the explosion of cable, mm-hmm. you know, when we had just that pretty much, you know, the, the three networks and PBS, you know, you were the, the, the nightly news, how, how we were getting our information was much more um, consistent. And, yeah. and it was a narrow, it was a narrower band. So it was a lot easier to check. It was a lot easier to see it when the news turned out to not be true. Yeah. Um, it was a lot easier to catch that, but you know, I think that one of the things that you see a lot in apocalyptic fiction or the end of the world fiction um, is that in, well, certainly there are stories where it ends with, and then everyone died. Mm-hmm. Um, there, that, is a, that is part of it. Um, there's often a sense of hope to them, which I think is something important to remember. Um, and sometimes it's often very funny. If you, you know, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy basically leads with the end of the world. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, humanity is dead. The planet is is atomized, and you're laughing because it's so absurd. And uh, Douglas Adams, of course, had this really incredible, you know, sense of the absurd in his writing that came through, you know, both in the in the radio production, in the TV series, um, and of course in the books. So I think that there's, you know, for for all the fact that so much of this can be really, really super grim. Or uh, you know, there's a lot of humor to be found as long as you're willing to to go with the go in with the <laughs> go along with the ride. I mean, uh, Doctor Strangelove. You know, the end of the movie. Spoiler alert: um, it's not looking good for humanity. <laughs> and, and Slim Pickens riding the bomb down is not a you know, while very funny, is you know the. Once the camera stops rolling, once the credits have, once you're done with the credits, yep. you know what happened next, right? Um, so it's, but it's a, it's an incredibly funny movie, and that's another film where you look at the absurdities of politics and the absurdities of human behavior. It's almost an example of this is why we blew ourselves up. Look at how ridiculous we are. Sure, you know, we almost deserve it here. Um, yeah. you know, let's laugh as we go. Well, and I think the other thing too is you look at how humor then was, you know, as far as the the not politically correct humor was was a little bit more acceptable, palatable than what we get nowadays with with the cancel culture and everybody getting offended about everything. Well, you could make you could make Doctor Strange Love now. You, I think you could make it and 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 still tell the same kind of story. I think you run into something with like, you know, Blazing Saddles, which of course is not uh, apocalyptic fiction, right? But it's also you know the the difference is is that a lot of people don't quite grasp that the targets in that were the targets that 
don't deal well with mockery. Uh, and, um, you know, yeah, but these, uh, you find, you find certainly some apocalyptic fiction, fiction doesn't necessarily age well because of its time to some degree because of, of how culture has changed. Um, Lucifer's hammer mm-hmm. by Larry Niven and, and Jerry Pornell. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's an excellent book, but it's very dated. I mean, it very, it feels very much like a product of, of when it was written. Mostly because, you know, the, the cultural stuff that he's talking about is stuff that, in large part, we've moved. You know, it still exists, but it's not like if he, when he's writing about the Black Black Panthers, it had a different impact when he wrote it than it does now. Yeah. And there, it's two, the organizations, just as an example of, of one of the one of the things in the book, the organization then and the organization now, however you feel about them, are different things. Oh, yeah. And so you have to look at them and go, you know, so it's it's. Well, some and- cases it stuff doesn't it still makes it's still an excellent book but don't misunderstand in fact it's one that i recommend um and it's one of the ones on my list of you know check out this book but go in understanding that you're going to be going if you're depending on how old you are you're going to be like what is he talking about yeah. well <laughs> and, and the other the other part of that too is you know you look at something like uh red dawn for example mm-hmm. which sure. is another one of those you know the the world is the world seems to be coming to an end and you know what are we going to do and the threat is the russians and the cubans and um, that you know it's it's certainly dated but i think that's one of the reasons why the remake didn't work so well is because who's your threat you know how how can you how can you recreate the threat that we had from the Russians when you don't have that kind of superpower level enemy? I mean, China, sure, but you're not going to make the Chinese the the enemy because you need their money in the theaters. Which is exactly what happened with that movie. Yeah, but even then, I think that it's. It was much more believable to audiences at the time that the Russians could invade us. Now, I think too many people would sit there and go, but it's not economically logical for the Chinese <laughs> to invade us. All they have to do is sit there and say, actually, no. pay your debt. Um, <laughs> well, and that that raises a point that uh, in in a lot of discussions that I'm seeing online is people are saying that in the wake of the virus with the question of whether or not this was engineered or not and your mileage it's may not, vary it's on not. that it's not it's it's such a dumb it's such but, a dumb thing but, it's not engineered but it's not. as part uh. of that but as part of that conversation a lot of people are sitting there saying that what we should do and other countries should do is just cancel our debt and just refuse to pay the Chinese and say, okay, you know, it's, it's done because the economic impact, I mean, who, who was it that sent a bill to China um, for something like $130 billion or something? Was that, was that France, Germany? I doubt, Some, I doubt either I mean, of those things actually happened. I doubt. Uh, I, no, I there was news, be- news, news report. They, I saw news headlines on this, that they had sent a, uh, sent uh sent a bill to the government of china and beijing had reacted poorly um mrs boss is looking it up for us but that actually happened this was it, uh, germany sci-fi snob said it was germany yeah. yeah actually sent a bill to beijing 
So the question I would have is, is it actually the government of Germany or is it someone in the government of Germany who has no authority to do that? Government of Germany, it looks like, right? Well, I, I, yes. if it was Angela Merkel who sent it, then that's one thing. But if it was anybody else, I think that would be a little bit questionable. Anyway, in any event, um, that's not how the real world works. Sorry. So <laughs> um, if you guys can, you know, that, those are discussions that people can have, but that's not how the real world works, actually. So shocking news, guys. It's not going to happen. Um, but well, anyway. No, but if, if somebody were to sit there and say, you know, China, China calls in the debt, all we have to do is refuse to pay it. Well, but that's just it. China's not going to call in the debt. That's, again, that's not, the real world doesn't work that way. Um, and, and, and there's no reason for them to do that. I mean, it's just not going to happen. Um, so it's just not. <laughs> that's not how things work. Hmm in in reality so anyway uh that's a whole different discussion um but the uh uh in terms of um and unfortunately you know what that's that's a really thing i i don't think there's going to be i don't have much outside of american and british stuff on this list mm -hmm. and that's unfortunate because of course there are other markets right and and we don't ha i don't have anything uh um japanese or chinese or korean or south american uh or german or or italian the only italian horror you know end of the world stuff i can think of is a bunch of you know the the zombie pictures of the 70s and 80s and they are such a stylized thing and i don't necessarily say i'd recommend them for you know staying at home and unless you like unless you like really good makeup effects right I mean, they're fantastic makeup effects well, if you're going to go with Japanese end of the world stuff related to nuclear war, there's always Godzilla. Well, Godzilla and and uh, you know their version of Akira. Yeah. Um, you know the like, only version of Akira. The only version where yeah the, the <laughs> American versions of Akira. That's just not that's just not it's not go there. Um, but yeah, so Lucifer's Hammer is a great one. Um, interestingly enough, I don't think about this one very often, and it's a really incredible book, The Canticle for Leibowitz. A Canticle for Leibowitz by mm -hmm. uh, Walter Miller Jr. Um, and uh, it's it's an incredibly sweeping novel that you know talk about talk about something that could be a prestige miniseries on HBO or or Showtime or something where I mean and you'd have to do it as a miniseries. No, you could not do it as a two-hour movie or an hour and a half. Um, and it, it, I think that you gave it that kind of slow-moving burn that you could give a prestige miniseries. It would really play. Because it's not necessarily a fast-paced book. Um, but there's some interesting, interesting uh, discussions about humanity and religion and the future and, and all kinds of things, all against a background of the world is coming to an end. Right. Um, and humanity has a choice, you know, uh, about leaving. So, um, you know, I think it's, I think it's, incredible book and i'm actually always been kind of surprised that no one had tried to tackle it i think that maybe the idea that that trying to give it in a hour and a half two hours just never seemed like uh a good proposition for anybody who probably because i'm sure there's a script floating around out there for it i'd be really surprised after at you know in between the time it was written and, and now there wasn't somebody making a good proposal for it sure but it's also the kind of film where, I mean, you look at something like Children of Men, um, which I highly recommend as a film. Um, and it's one of those ones where I say the book 
I don't know that you want to read the book if you liked the movie. Because the book is a very different beast. Mm-hmm. Um, the ending is different. The relationship between some of the characters is different. And it's a much darker and grimmer novel. And Children of Men is not a lighthearted movie. No. <laughs> <laughs> it is not remotely a upbeat picture. And the book is much, much darker. And so I don't know if I can recommend the book um, as much as I could recommend the film. I think it's an excellent, excellent end of the world movie. Yeah. Because it takes the premise, of course, that the end of the world is we just don't have children. We're done. I mean, there mm-hmm. is no, there are no children being born. And past a certain point, you know, this is it. And it's, spoiler alert for the, for the film, a young woman becomes pregnant and there is a mad dash to get control of the child. Because this might be the only way, you know, and so everybody, you know, whether it's the government or individuals, there's all kinds of just, we want, you know. And that's that's the one attempt, for one person's attempt to get this child out. Yeah. Um, and Clive Owen plays the lead. And it's, it's one of the films, you know, for, he's got a very interesting range of stuff that he's done. And I think it's one of his finest dramatic uh, roles. Um, and it has, it owes a little bit to Shane in terms of of story structure interestingly enough um which i kind of think thought think is interesting but uh especially the ending sure um but uh no it's an excellent film if you have if you haven't seen children of men and don't mind it being um you know like it's not an upbeat film but there's some incredible incredible practical effect filmmaking in there there is a car chase sequence which is one of the finest produced in film i'd say in the last 25 30 years yeah um, and I highly recommend it. I mean, it's it's really an excellent, uh, excellent movie. Um, uh, talking about uh, a lead character who's pregnant at the end of the world, the seventh sign mm. with Demi mm. Moore, Jurgen Prochnow. Uh, it basically talks. Yeah, it's basically the it's it's uh, second coming. It's a revelation. Mm-hmm. And certainly with a lot of things that have been going on, I've seen, you know, of course, the conspiracy theorists are out there uh, talking about some of the different things that have been happening in the world. And and there's always those apocalyptic, you know, the end is nigh. Sure. Um, Maybe not now, but two years from now. Oh, maybe not now, but, you know, later. Funny how Um, the date keeps moving. At some point, it won't. (laughs) But... Yeah, um, the se- the seventh sign is a very good. I I I have always enjoyed that film, mm-hmm. um, just because uh, of how well it's put together. Um, well, and Jurgen Prochnow, and again, I'm not going to be a spoiler here because if you haven't seen it, you should. Mm-hmm. Jurgen Prochnow gives a performance you don't necessarily expect from Jurgen Prochnow. Yeah, and that's a good thing, and that's actually a bit of praise, and that's all I'll say about it. Um, but it's, uh, um, if you, it was a time, it was Demi Moore relatively early in her career. Yeah. This was all the way back in 1988. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. I think it's a, I think it's an excellent, excellent, um, uh, choice there. Um, one that, uh, I think that a lot of the other one that people will not have seen necessarily is called the quiet earth. And it is an Australian film, I believe. Let me make sure that I'm saying that I'm correct about that. 
<clears throat> excuse me. Um, but the basic premise is, is that one morning this guy wakes up and he's the only human. Everybody else is gone. Hmm. And he finds himself moving uh, around this desolate, empty world. And um, then, of course, he discovers he's not quite alone. And then things get odder. Um, and it's a, it is not a fast paced film by any stretch of the imagination. Let's, let's just make that very, very clear here. If you're looking for like a big action picture, it's not. Um, but it is a much, it is a very interesting exploration of what it would be like to be alone. Yeah. Uh, in, in what appears to be an extinction level for humanity, extinction level event that leaves everything else there. Uh, and uh, it's it's an interesting film. It's it's got a it's got an interesting mood. I really enjoyed it, and I'm not sure that I'm not. Yeah, it may not be for everybody because of, because of its pace. Um, but I thought it was actually really really good. Um, actually, the question is, how does its seventh sign compare to Legion? If by Legion do you mean the Exorcist Three, or do you mean um, Paul Bettany as the Archangel? Paul Bettany. And, it, and I would say that um, you can skip Legion with Paul Bettany. Um, <laughs> and that's a personal opinion. If you like it, great. But it's, it's Seventh Sign is, is much, much better. It's a much yeah. better film. Um, now, uh, end of, it's not an end of the world picture, but if you haven't seen Exorcist 3, um, watch it. Because it is a superior sequel. Exorcist 2 is a film that we all wish didn't exist, but it is. Um, An Exorcist 3 is actually a surprisingly good sequel to The Exorcist involving and has an incredible cast, including George C. Scott playing um, Detective Kinderman. Uh, the original actor had passed away, um, but uh, it's a really, really good sequel to a classic horror film. And it surprises me how many people who've seen The Exorcist have not seen Exorcist 3. Yeah. Not to mention it has the most creep one of the creepiest three minutes god it's not even three minutes but it's like two to two minutes or so of single shot camera work on a lockdown on sticks and the camera doesn't move at all and it's just creepy as hell what <laughs> <laughs> so well done um the the world of course ends a lot of different ways Right. And it can be the bomb. It could be an alien invasion. Um, alien invasion, of course, is a very popular way to do it. Sure. Um, in terms of this, you know, you have the invasion of the body snatchers. The 78 version. Let's be clear um, <laughs> that I mean, and, and there have been other versions and there's some of them have their 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 pros and cons. Right. But 78 is with Donald Sutherland is, I think, the best of them. Yeah. Um, the one, and, the one with uh, Nicole Kidman and Daniel Craig. That's that's a remake of the, this story, right? Yeah, yeah. right. Okay, right. that's mm -hmm. what I was thinking. Yeah. And it's yeah. uh, it, that one was really disappointing um, to me. Most it, just, it didn't most have of the modern remakes are I'm finding so. Well, it just it lacked again. Seventy eight was much more. There was a, a, a lot more. Um, I don't know. Maybe if, if uh, there was that fear in the air, that sort of the idea that that you know it could all go away in a, a blast of nuclear fire. There was that. There was a certain amount of just tension 
that we all felt because there was so much back and forth between the big the world powers of you know threatening and things like that and posturing so the idea that someone coming along and just you know taking away everything that you are spoiler alert for the four different movie adaptations in the book of, of invasion of the body snatchers if you haven't seen it um but the 78 version is fantastic 1956 is is pretty good yeah. um but i think really the 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 just level of of tension that the 78 version uh produces is is really really amazing i think it could be done now if you cast it right and got the right director i think part of the problem is that you don't you don't get the people it's like what gives me a little bit of hope for the new version of dune um is the you know is the enthusiasm that we get from the people who are working on the production end right and they're talking about Talking about the, the the things that they want to do with you know how they how they want to bring the novel to life how they want to you know treat the story fairly yeah um, and you know how it turns out is going is up in the air but at least it gives me a little bit of you know hope well, that they're actually got the that they've got the idea of the book. Stop and consider though that the people running Lucasfilm was very important were very enthusiastic about Star Wars before we get the sequel trilogy with mixed results. So well, sure. enthusiasm and, but, for a property doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to understand what makes it work. Well, and that's true. However, when the director uh, is someone who managed to go back and do Blade Runner, a Blade Runner sequel, yeah, I, and make it work. I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. I am too. I mean, the thing is, is that you know, I I have a soft spot for the David Lynch version, and I enjoyed the sci-fi miniseries. Mm -hmm. You know, I thought they were, you know, they're not, they're not, none of, it's never going to be perfect. It's never going to, it's no. never going to be the dune in my head. Okay. Yeah. Because it can't, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm more optimistic about that than I am say um, a lot of other things uh, when it comes to reboots. Now um, we can't, we, we have, we do have to touch on, on the zombie picture because it's there. They're all <laughs> over the place. You can't get around them right. for good or for ill. Um, I'm going to put out uh, two. Okay. Um, 28 days later. I'm going to say skip the sequel 28 weeks later because even though it's got Robert Carlyle, who is one of my favorite actors in it, um, the storyline is incoherent. And there's there's a distinct lack of, of comprehensive thought that actually occurs among any character in that movie. Yeah. They're all idiots. And, um, and to be clear, 28 days later is not a sequel to Sandra Bullock's 28 Days. No. Not although, really. <laughs> although it would have been awesome if she was the lead in 28 Days Later. And just no, nobody said anything else. They just, just it was cause. just her, though. Yeah. That would have been hysterical. That, that, would be, that would be M. Night Shyamalan level of Early you know, days, early surprise. days. Yeah, uh, that would have been, you know, uh, uh, you know. Well, because yeah, you know, the what would the end of uh, Split, mm -hmm. where it's revealed that oh, by the way, <laughs> this, right. Is, right. this is the sequel that nobody ever knew that we were making. We so. never thought we were going to get. Yeah, yeah, no. So twenty-eight days later, Danny Boyle, uh, who is a British filmmaker, uh, who is has got a really good. Uh, it's not completely good, but he's got a overall a really good track record for making interesting movies. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, certainly 28 days later, you, you might argue that the fast zombie thing is bad. 
Um, but strictly speaking, they aren't zombies and et cetera, et cetera. But it's got a lot of cool tension and, and some great performances from, from Cillian Murphy and, and it's got a great soundtrack. Yeah. I absolutely love, I mean, it's the, the, the music in that film fits it so well um, that even if you are, you know, even if you happen to think that zombies are kind of overdone now, yes, they kind of are. Yeah. Um, it still holds up as a, a tense film. Um, and of course, um, Dawn of the Dead, both the original and the remake. And I'm, it's, it, there's, they're very different films mm-hmm. and the remake is Zack Snyder. So you, you know, your mileage may vary just from hearing his name, but I was looking, um, because we have been talking about, you know, other, other things and programming and things that we could do here. And we were talking about seeing if we could get, uh, let's say public domain movies. And we were looking through the, the Roku channels that are available at right. yesterday. And Mindy and I were scanning through and, oh, here's the horror classics. And here's the sci-fi classics. And, I was, and I'm looking at all of these and I'm recognizing so many of these titles as being in the public domain anymore. I was like, well, I know, I know where they got this library. <laughs> Yeah. And and Dawn of the Dead was there, at, you know, the original, because it's somehow the original Roger Corman movie is in the public domain. So is the original Little Shop of, excuse me, Little Shop of Horrors mm-hmm. uh, with Jack Nicholson, because uh, reasons. But there, right. those two movies are in the public domain at this point, which means you, if you've got a copy of it, you can broadcast it because nobody owns it. Right, and and that's a, it's it's one of those things that a lot of times people just didn't even think that this stuff would have the staying power. Yeah, in terms of its impact, its impact on society um, turned out to be a long, you know, long-reaching one. And and Dawn of the Dead did something for American zombie films, um, along with Romero's Night of the Living Dead. Um, you end up with um, a certain thing, certain films that just have managed to hold up, and they're dated certainly. Um, you know that in terms of, you know, uh, whether whether it's the effects or the clothes or the mm-hmm. social commentary, but they still manage to work. Yeah. And one of the things I would say about you know, for however you feel about Zack Snyder, um, his Dawn of the Dead, um, sort of, it it does okay. It does not have the impact of the original, but. Um, it definitely is. I think it's. I think it's a entertaining zombie movie, and it's got some great sequences. Um, the one of the opening, the opening bit to that film, I think, is one of the more effective. Welcome to the Apocalypse uh, uh, openings in in a, in a horror film, and it was for a lot of people. It was like, oh, who is this Zack Snyder fellow, and and what is he going to do next? Yeah. And now we know. So, yeah. and however however you feel about that is is however you feel about that, but. It's it's a it's not strictly speaking a straight remake, mm-hmm. and I think that's also one of the reasons that it works, is that it takes cues from, but it also doesn't, it neither reproduces it too much or ignores too much. It's not a shot for shot remake like they did right. with Psycho, and, and it's also not it's also not we're just going to take the name. Yeah. So it, it, it was a pretty good balancing act. It's a shame that. A lot of his other movies couldn't pull that up. Yeah, no kidding. Sucker, Pun- <laughs> Sucker Punch is pretty, but oh, the whole thing falls apart at the end. I just, well, it just I mean, it, it doesn't make sense through the whole thing, but the ending 
completely oh. ruins everything that comes before the ending. And if you hear oh. Snyder talk about what he intended to do with that film, what his goal was, it's like, yeah. well, that's an interesting and laudable goal. The problem is, is you didn't pull it off. Yeah. You may think you did, but as a viewer, I can tell you, film you sure looks yeah. pretty. Yeah. Um, Matt Ween in the chat says, just finished watching Jodorowsky's Dune documentary. It, it is. really good. It's really, really good. If you haven't seen it, it get, get your hands on it because it is a fascinating exploration of a project that never got off the ground. I tell really. you, that adaptation of Dune would have been a trip. It would have killed making a accurate Dune movie for decades. <laughs> I would, I would love to see it. Yeah, I would love to have seen it, but I'm also kind of, yeah. Thank God they never made it. Uh, exactly, <laughs> because it would have murdered. It would have murdered, and you know what? It might have murdered science fiction for a couple of decades too. Yeah, because it would have been, it would have been such a glorious train wreck. And I want. I wish we could. I wish we could have seen it. I mean, you know, it's it's that half of one. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Now um, we cannot we cannot uh, ignore um, Good Omens, which of course is out there on you can you can it's out there on Amazon, um, and it's the end of the world, and it's the standard, you know, it's the standard biblical end of the world. Um, uh, and the angel and the demon who would rather it not happen right now. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, and as and, and far as adaptations go, um, Neil Gaiman was Neil Gaiman wrote with Terry Pratchett. And there's Terry Pratchett's adaptations and Neil Gaiman's adaptations to film and TV have been hit and miss. Kind of like Stephen um, King's. Yeah, I think I think that with, with Pratchett, he's such a beloved, he's not so much in the U.S., although he's got a lot of fans here. He's such a beloved author in the, in the U.K., mm-hmm. Um, I, when I was there in 2000, we went into, you know, you would walk into shops and there'd be Terry Pratchett displays in a way that you just, you know, you expect to see with like, you know, Stephen King or John Grisham or, or JK Rowling here, right? Big, right. huge things. And there was that stuff was Terry Pratchett and it was everywhere. Huge, 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 huge in the UK. And, um, so there have been several adaptations of his work and real hit and miss. And before he died, he told Neil Gaiman, make it and make it right. And as somebody who really, really was scared <laughs> that it was not going to, it's an incredible adaptation. I think it's wonderful. And of course, it's got, you know, some some actors that you just can't, you know, you can't really miss with David Tennant. Yeah. Uh, and David Tennant playing uh, a demon is, I mean, how can you go wrong? I mean, come on. Um, it's definitely, definitely worth your time. Uh, and, and it's all the, all the laughs that you could hope for. If you're a fan, if you're a fan of the book, and if you're not, it's an entry point to get in to read the book. Sure. Uh, and you should read, uh, well, you should read everything by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. You'll be fine. There was, uh, you talk about uh, adaptations of stories, um, the Twilight Zone the original Twilight Zone with Rod mm-hmm. Serling did an adaptation of the short story To Serve Man. Right, yeah. Which uh-huh. is kind of an end-of-the-world type of story <laughs> where the aliens show up sure. and we translate the title of the book To Serve Man. Oh, what a nice, lovely thought. And it goes horribly, horribly wrong. With a nice white wine sauce and some <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, that's uh, the ending. The ending of that because I remember reading the reading the short story and then and then watching the TV the TV episode. How the reveal is handled, uh, I thought was done pretty well. Um, where she's you know he's getting onto the ship and she's screaming at him and it's like you know that you know what what has to be going through his head now that he's stuck on the spaceship right oh yeah okay yeah. So. well and 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 speaking of of novels that have or stories that have uh you know interesting twists you look at childhood childhood's end yeah which is very much an end it's it's not only an end of the world it's an end of what we think of humanity as mm -hmm. uh it's it's a twofer <laughs> i mean it's you, the, and the sci-fi adaptation yeah i mean it's, it's unfortunate because i think it, yeah. it had potential yeah and it feels like i don't know if they quite it's one of those words where I thought it felt like, oh, we want to make this, we want to make this movie, and here's what it's about, but they've only read the Cliff's Notes, they haven't really read the book, or talked to anybody that had read the book. They just, you know, they had the general idea. Some of it, the but, pacing but on that is really off. It just felt, yeah, it, it felt, the edit it felt, felt weird. weird. Yeah. Um, and I think that that really just, I mean, it, you know, I, I, there's always an interpretation of going from book to film. And that's always something that, you know, you have to understand, hoping, hoping that you're going to get a pure one-to-one -one adaptation is, is almost inevitably going to disappoint you. Yeah. Um, but it makes me nervous about what, what are they doing next? Brave New World? Are they doing a new one of those? Yeah, I think they are doing Brave New World. And, and yeah, there's some, it's, it's always it's always a concern, especially when you when you look at some of these things and the impact that some of these stories have had over time. Yeah. Um, and and the question becomes, you know, uh, do do the folks who are working on it really understand that impact? And I think in some cases they simply don't. Um, and it doesn't have that kind of. Um, we've talked before about how some of the people who are our age who are in, are in charge of some of this stuff now. And um, and they don't necessarily aren't necessarily viewing it as they're viewing it in the in the lens of their own personal history. Looking at you know that mm -hmm. show was really funny now, but it wasn't meant to be a comedy. Yeah. And I think that I think that some of them just don't have the maybe the the reference. And as, and maybe the screenwriter did, and that's always a challenge too, because of course we know that yeah. the screenwriter might have come in with this incredibly faithful and loving adaptation, and then in the course of production, everybody else. It just didn't happen. The rings you know. Well, and even best of intentions. And I think too that it's not just not just the remakes that get the the remakes that end up becoming parody. I think it's also the people who are actually put in charge of a franchise like Star Wars or Star Trek or you know where they decide they want to do something new and maybe edgy or maybe you know something something that kind of modernizes the thing. And their personal sensibilities of what makes a good story or what constitutes a, a you know something doesn't necessarily fit within the parameters of a particular IP. You know, it might Sometimes, be sure. it might be a good science fiction concept, but 
within the boundaries of this universe that has existed for 30 or 40 or 50 or 90 years or however long, you can only do so much before you start straying so far from the source material that you're not even doing the source material anymore. And you run the risk of creating an adaptation or a sequel or a reboot or a remake or whatever that doesn't resemble the original at all. Yeah, and that's a concern. I think that's one thing that, that and I don't, I, I can see an argument here to be made that uh, if you have something like, say, a Star Wars or a Star Trek or a Doctor Who that have been around for as long as they've been around and have built up such a uh, catalog of works around them that mm -hmm. may play into a larger continuity. And certainly with Star Wars, that was the case. Yeah. Less so with Star Trek. The novel lines have never really been considered canon by the by the people who make the TV and films. It's, yeah. it's, it's always been, and same thing with Doctor Who. It hasn't been considered canon. Well, and uh -huh. not even, not even that. Well, not just that, but also the fact that fans understood with the Star Trek novels, fans understood that 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 those books stood outside of canon because early on Roddenberry had said so. Because sure. there's no way for all of it to keep track and 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 stay there and all of that. With Doctor Who, uh, for example, and and. You know, now that we've got the Night of the Doctor canonizing some of the stuff that's in the audio stuff, right. now there's a question, well, how much of all of the peripheral stories are canon? Um, well, and, and that's, you know, the thing that. is that I, to, give, to give, so far, the production teams, whether it's been, you know, and anybody from, from the revival on, anyone who's been in charge, has cheerfully managed to not answer that question. Yeah. And that's good because... You think, you, for, for all, anyone's concerns about continuity this season with Doctor Who, uh, and uh, uh, don't even try and bring the books or the audio lines into them <laughs> at this point, because you, it, 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 would, it would take whatever concerns you have about continuity after this season, and it would blow it up into astronomical levels, because yeah. there's so much contradiction. The audiobooks contradict the books, the books contradict the TV show, the TV show contradicts the books and the audiobooks. It just goes on things so yeah and and exactly if you if you want to put a book in canon you have to put so many restrictions on the writers yeah and here's the thing that's interesting when in the novel lines for doctor who when it was off the air when it was just virgin mm -hmm. books and it was just the bbc books um when virgin had the license then it went back to the bbc there were guidelines they had guidelines for those authors on what they could and couldn't do they were pretty broad um and there were certainly a a way of you know keeping because they were actually trying to tell some overarching stories yeah and there is some fascinating writing by some of these writers who are like big names in in science fiction by the way uh in now certainly uh, you'll recognize a lot of these names if you actually see who were, these writers were um and some of them just hated that <laughs> they hated it with a passion that well, they were and, actually being told they had to write within these boundaries. And how many times has Doctor Who destroyed the Earth? I mean, how many how many times has the Earth met its well, destruction, its end? Gallifrey's been destroyed, I think, four or five different times. Yeah. The Time Lords have been wiped out three or you know three or four. There's all these different ways that you can sit there and go, okay, do not even try and line this stuff up. Mm. Yeah. I think one of the things with the Star Wars novels is perhaps. 
fans had come to see them as canon-ish because there was the assumption, I mean, we all knew we were never going to get another Star Wars movie. Right. And so this is all you have, and it follows out of Jedi, and you had the three out of Timothy's on, and, and these were officially licensed books. So mm-hmm. right. they had sort of a tacit stamp of approval from Lucasfilm. So it was easier because... Roddenberry had said the Star Trek books are not canon. So we already had that. So, yeah, these are fun to read, and and we know they're not part of any timeline. Whereas the Star Wars stuff, nobody had ever said, well, these books aren't canon. I mean, it's it's an understood thing to a certain kind of – to a certain level. It's it's understood, but it's unsaid. Right. And – knowing that we were never going to get another Star Wars movie, and then, oh, hey, suddenly we have a new Star Wars movie in the works, and all of this stuff is now just gone. Right. I mean, throwing, throwing I think that was a, a fairly large mistake they made, just to throw it out all entirely, instead of picking and choosing certain yeah. things. Um, now, with Doctor Who, it was different, um, because nobody ever thought they were, not only did they think no one was ever going to get another Doctor Who show, yeah. but the British idea, the British sensibility of... Um, the British sensibility for how shows end and then they're just done is different than American audiences. Yeah. They were kind of like, we only got two seasons and the creators say we're not doing another one. Okay, that's it. That's how it works. You know, so it's a different, it's a different mindset. So, but yeah, no, no, I think, I think that there's, it's certainly a challenge. Yeah. Now, um, to bring us back to track, uh, because, you know, trying to keep ourselves in our little, you know, <laughs> Uh, and that's you know, hey, we digress here, guys. I mean, if you, you listened to us before, we, but, we've been but, known to do you know, that. In, in terms of canon and, and stuff, I mean, you you look at how many times the a particular planet has been destroyed in all of these. A home world. I mean, Alder, oh, sure. Alderaan was destroyed in Star Wars. Krypton was destroyed in Superman. I mean, <laughs> the, the end of the world happens quite a bit in genre. Well, and in many ways, it's it's... And it can, and this can be overused really, really badly. By the way, it's mm-hmm. another example of of uh, adversity as backstory, yeah, or or traumatic event as backstory. You know, define the defining event, right? Um, <laughs> and is uh, you know, and we've we've seen this. We and you can you can see it really get pushed in some cases where you know, uh, rape is a backstory or death of a parent is a backstory. Right. Some of this stuff becomes almost. You know, too much and and. Did you know that Bruce Wayne's parents were killed when he was a kid? I've heard Spoilers about that. Spoilers for a, for a story it, that's. I, I don't see how it impacts his character development. Well, you know, it's, it depends on the writer. <laughs> well, <laughs> so I mean, yeah, there's there are certainly a lot of of that, especially with characters like Superman, where you have somebody who's coming in from a strange visitor from another world, mm. and it's not just characters like Superman. Sometimes we have a your alien being who comes to Earth, the man who fell to Earth, uh, sure. both the novel and, of course, the David Bowie movie, where it's a it's an it's an end of the world story. It's just not our world. It's his world is dying, and he's come to Earth to find a way to save his world, mm. and it doesn't go the way he hopes. Um, and the 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 implication by the end of the story is that his world is doomed. Yep. I mean, so it's. 
it, there's ways to tell these stories that aren't just about our world, but it's still being part of the story that we're part of. So it's interesting stuff that you can do. Uh, I'm going to throw out a couple of books um, as we, you know, just to make sure that they're out there. Nick Harkaway, The Gone Away World. I've mentioned this book before, um, and I recommend picking it up just because it is a fascinating what happens if the world ends and it's still around and things are very, very weird. Um, <clears throat> Not to mention it has, you know, ninja clowns. <laughs> it, and and that's just a thing that is really happening in this book. It's a little bit insane, yeah. um, but it's also a really fun read. I mean, I, I, I laughed a lot, but it's also got some interesting, some interesting questions about what it means to be a person and what it means to try and change the world. Um, when the world is when the when the world is broken beyond repair, mm -hmm. how do you how do you save it? Um, and a, it's a fascinating, fun, fun novel. Um, yeah, I can, I put out, we can, we can put out some books here. Uh, yeah. the list for this. Yeah, in the sure. No problem. And, um, uh, speaking of, uh, stuff to get besides, you know, cause you can get books at the bookstore. Well, not at the moment, but, uh, some stores can, are still doing curbside service, doing curbside service, Look, and, check, check your local, check your local listings. And if, and if, uh, states start to open up, we can go in and check these books out from the library or, or buy them from your, from your local bookstore or even a used bookshop. Uh, but then of course I wanted to give a shout out here real quick to superherostuff.com where you can get 10% off your order with the promo code sci-fi for B10. going to throw that in here, right here at the end of the show. And if you want to support our channel, we've, uh, got a subscribe star account set up $5 a month. You can help us, uh, with expenses, which right now everything's kind of derailed because we're not going to any events uh, yet. But uh, one of these days, we'll get there. We'll get back there. Yeah, we'll get back there. All right, so that I think we're going to wrap up there. We're trying to keep this thing within an hour. We're experimenting with with the format a little bit for. Uh, reasons and uh, so we're gonna we're gonna pop out there and thank you very much all of you who were in the chat uh, giving us uh, questions and comments and we will yes we will leave a list of recommendations in the show notes uh, as soon as we get off uh, the broadcast here and have that for you and uh, we'll do it all again next week with right. another topic which <laughs> We'll probably pick two hours before we go on the air again. So. Why change what works? Yes, I suppose. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for watching and, uh, and, and in the chat. And also, if you uh, would like to uh, see more of all of the different content that we have, make sure your notifications are on. You'll get them eventually. Uh, but we have programming that we drop here on the channel throughout the week. And uh, we're also keeping track of all of the Comic-Con cancellations and, and daily updates. And uh, tomorrow we've got a new Triple Bites. And this week I believe we've got a new Tardis Sauce. That's the hope. Yep. That's the hope. So uh, be sure to stick around for those. And we'll be back with another H2O podcast next week. Good night, everyone. Thanks, guys. Copyright 2020 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.